Bruce Newberry. The food dude. All right, so here we are. It's Bruce Newberry with Ted Carusas, but we can't call it a TED Talk. And we're here at the Blue Play Diner. Ted is uh, doing the award-winning interview here today. <laughs> the uh, interview for the culinary award that, uh, you know what, you're as good for this as anybody else. Oh, well, you're very kind Not and gracious. You Thank you. Stuff. It's always been a competitive sport. I think the best chefs in the world are always trying to outdo each other. They're great imitators. They like to borrow from what is working and what isn't. I think they, they are tough mentally and physically because it's a physically tough business. I think the, the real true chefs versus the cooks are mentally tough because they look at opportunities in the marketplace to bring out something that will give them that little bit of edge, right? So I'll give you an example. I was watching Anthony Bourdain, God rest his soul, yeah. um, a good family friend of my dad's for years. Oh, no um, kidding. Yep, and uh, he was... He had done the, the Mecca return to France to Boc- uh, Paul Bocuse restaurant. Sure. And they were looking and they had like the meal of a lifetime, he called it. And it was all foods. I mean, this guy is the best chef of the century, right? The best chef of, uh, in the world in, uh, for 100 years, if that's even possible. And it's because so many people have trained under him. And he's been to Johnson & Wales as he a visiting chef. Times. And he's yes. been here multiple times. But long story short, if you look at the food that was done then versus what's done now, the whole pig coming out, the whole boar the whole this that was the competitive edge right I mean that was classical cuisine done and then it's separated table side and services now encumbered sure. uh, encompassing part of the experience and all this stuff and I say to myself wow those were the days when service was just as equally important as food presentation for the experience to be worthwhile and worthy and then I said wow I, so I was watching with my kids and I'm like look at that's what was going on 50 years ago and at the seafair was going on 35 years ago right up the street here Right. And that's the dead art form. It no longer is done. There are some restaurants, to their credit, like Capriccio's, but even they have morphed over time to be able to give the customer what they want, which is a great dining experience, sometimes a little bit quicker, sometimes a little bit, you know. And then you've got Brennan's, which I know of in, in sure, New Orleans, really, which sure. are classic, and they don't change. So my point is, I guess in a roundabout way, chefs are always looking for the next best thing and it doesn't necessarily have to be innovative meaning new and never done before like robots and AI in the kitchen and all this other stuff you can go back to your history and to your roots and say what used to work and why did it work how can I differentiate myself and how can I bring that full circle the big thing the past 15 years have always been this molecular gastronomy right which is really I mean cooking is chemistry of course but now they take it down to another art form or level where they use micro tweezers to kind of put parsley on or, or micro greens and I'm not diminishing it okay that's an extraordinary talent that I wish I had um, but however is that for everyone and that's the level of competition that has uh, done so much so that people now are removed from what they're eating yes you're making a, a, a fume a, like a, a smoked smell if you will out of something that is probably not all, I mean, it's natural, but how do you encapsulate that, right? I it mean, has nothing to do with yeah, what's on the plate. Right, right, like a smoked fumé pillow. What the hell right. is that? <laughs> right? It just makes your salmon taste smoked as you're putting it in your mouth. Kind of like, you ever play that trick when you're grabbing something to drink and you think it's Coca-Cola and you bring it up to your nose and you go to drink it real quick and it's all of a sudden it's root beer, but right. your brain thought it was Coca-Cola. Right. That's the game that they play, and that's only oh, like the 1% mm-hmm. know how to do that and play that, but that's that next level right and those are thousand bucks ahead it is and you but i i get your point so true it's always been competitive and you were always 
as good as your last meal and what the guy that you look up to, what yeah. his or her last meal yep. was. And once upon a time, it was please, right? Is. I mean, restaurant people, whether we like it or not, we're in the business of trying to please people. Problem is sometimes we can't because we're not understanding what they want or we don't want to sacrifice what they want for what we want, which is an exemplary product. Some people want sure. vanilla. How many times do we talk about vanilla versus French vanilla, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the question. We are here at the end of the counter here in the Broadcast Bistro at the Blue Plate Diner and uh, talking with Ted Carusas. All right, so the next question that Chef got asked was, what about people photographing the food and putting it on Instagram? Are we now cooking for Instagram? So it's funny that you say that. So for years, first of all, the answer is you're always cooking for Instagram because everybody's eyes matter. And the reality is just with a camera, you're just spreading it faster than usual. That's all. Instead of word of mouth, it's now a, a photo. And a photo is worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. It's funny. We never listen to our parents when they're when we're growing up, That's right? True. Until we're parents ourselves. <laughs> My father used to say, you must always cook. People eat with their eyes. So make sure the food looks right. Make sure it looks fresh. Make sure it looks vibrant and appropriate. And it's funny that you say that because my father used to say that all the time. Having said that, I've always tried to grow up with the intent that people eat with their eyes and you should make sure that you're representing that yourself and the product in light and in the way that it should be presented. Sure. I think one of the ways that it might be different today, and they bring this out in the chef interview, is that the Instagram crowd is not grounded in much of anything other than Instagram. So they may be making comparisons. And in other words, they're photographing your food or putting your food on Instagram. And someone may be saying, well, how come it doesn't look like that? Right. So-and-so in New Orleans or in right. Paris or wherever. Right. Interesting. So um, I don't know. Everybody's got their own style. So right. if anything, Instagram is bringing people's styles closer to blend. Like I always look at a sedan, right? I look at a sedan and I go, with all of the technology and the drag coefficients, all this craziness, every sedan looks almost exactly the same. All the, the cars same, look the same. Right. And that's because they use shared technology to get them to get them the lowest drag. Having said that, the same can go with Instagram and food. Over time, we meld and mix and, and kind of copycat. Like I said, we innovate, yes, but more importantly, we kind of look at historical perspective and say, does this apply to today's customer? Will they buy it? Will they like it? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of, remember when the years when it used to be the Nouvelle Cuisine and everything was small little portions sure. of French food and you say, you eat everything, it looks like an appetizer and you're still hungry? <laughs> Where's the, the dinner? Right, where's the dinner? But the difference was you ate eight or nine courses of those, and over time you digested it and you ate healthier. Right. That's something. Now they have what they call these digestation menus, yes, right? Yes, yes. Which means to digest. So and it's the same thing. You eat course after course after course. Right. And, and those are in the fancy, fancy, fancy After places. a while, yeah. yeah. And, and, and all of that stuff. All right, so they always ask these chefs, oh, where are your favorite places to eat? And so-and-so and such and such a place right and, now. And they always want simple places. Oh, right. Is that not That's the case? That's true. Yes, it's true. Let's see what he said. The he fanciest said, chefs always eat the simplest, well-prepared food. It's so true. And that this guy is out in Los Angeles, and he recommends a pizza place. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. You because go. you don't want to cook the stuff that you, uh, you don't want to 
want to eat the stuff you cook all day long. But let me uh, let me ask you this. Now we're uh, of course we're on uh, in Burlington. We're on in Vermont. We're on in Montreal. And okay. you visited Montreal Love not long ago. I Love Montreal. Tell us a place that you ate. Uh, that you, that oh, it's called remember. Le Jardin, which means the garden. Yes. It's an old facade building, but you go inside and it's empty courtyard, and it's all outdoors with beautiful canopies. It seats like six hundred people, but oh, you would wow. never guess it. It's extraordinarily good food. Um, what was the food? Was it um, traditional? Well, you know, of course, you have the poutine. Everybody and, uh, does poutine, right? Everybody does it, but they did, did it very, very well. And it was—I hate to say—kind of Americanized because everything when you go in a tourist area is Americanized, True. right? Kind of. So this was in this wasn't in the old section. No, it wasn't the. Viewport. Oh, it wasn't the old Montreal. Yeah, oh, it in was. the viewport, okay. but of course, it's got six hundred seats to fill. So of course, um, you kind of not slim it down, but you have to appeal to the masses. Yeah, it was yeah. very, very good. It was very, very good. Uh, but it was more the ambiance, I think, than everything else. That was great um, and, and and nice. Um, but uh, and then there's some great. I mean, obviously Ben and Jerry's ice creams are extraordinary. They're local, of organic, and all that sort of fun stuff. But uh, um, up in Vermont, of course. Well, we have uh, we have the food truck phenomenon going on uh, there as well as here. We've got 31 food trucks over in Newport today, oh, wow. and they started the food truck festival in Burlington last night. Yeah. Uh, there's trucks every night out on Pine, and uh, including the the arts uh, arts truck, which has a reputation of its own. And and it's funny, I said at the top of the show, I've always, since I was little, I always would see a diner, you know, yep. a classic diner like yep. you have, all chrome and silver and traditional and everything, and I always had the impression that it could move. And right. so in the old days, they used to be moved, right. right? They used to be on the back of a carriage. While you ate, though. Oh, yeah. Well, that's got a little, you get motion sickness. <laughs> but I, I always, you know, I always make that connection between diners and, and the, the original, food trucks. The original food truck, original. if you will. Can I, can I say something about those food, right the food trucks? So I think it's an extraordinary idea on multiple fronts, and I'll tell you why. Go right uh, ahead. On the first front, a food truck is extraordinary from the perspective of the restaurateur because it allows you to be hyper-focused because you have limited space. So you have to come up with a specialty. So this specialty, because of the limited space, should be extraordinary. And once it becomes extraordinary, you become known for it, and then all of a sudden it forces the chef to be very, very good on either a technique or an item or something. And then people will search you for True. you. Now, the reality is once you do a really good job with it, the next incarnation is you want to become a restaurant, a bricks and mortar. When you do that, now you're riddled with multiple problems. Biggest one being you have a big footprint that you need to make sure as a businessman you can accommodate. So what do you do? You increase your scope, you get larger menu items, you get more costly, it becomes less profitable. But it's always less profitable when you're trying to grow your business, right? Until you finally hit a, a point where you're a little bit more mature and established and, and you know, you, you got, you're firing on all cylinders. So I'm all for the food truck phenomenon because it forces a chef to really specialize, hone in on what they do well, do it profitably, experiment. I mean, yes, I've always definitely. said people are much more apt to take a risk at six, seven, eight bucks than they are at 28. Sure. So, you know, you don't have to offer a ton of different items to really kind of take off on that. So I think that's a very, very critical Interesting thing. on both sides because yeah. you're not risking a lot as a business person to put out an item that's going to retail out at six or eight dollars. Right. And then for us on the other side of you the window, for, we can cheap. try it. And or res- we're not making cheap. an investment. Right, right. So you experiment. So, so I think that's 
that's a that's a great thing that hopefully some people are on to. I really wish listen to your customers to get feedback, but stay true to yourself and recognize that you can obviously stay true to yourself at a, at a smaller price point when you have a, a less expensive footprint. So uh, you can be experiment and cutting edge and stuff. Uh, so I, I wish them all good luck. I think it's not a phen- it's not a phenomenon. It's here to stay. Oh, I it's think so. A, it's not. I a think so. It's matured. Yeah. And we've uh, had some great discussions about the food truck industry, and it's uh, it's an interesting thing that it, I agree with you. It is still going on, and it has uh, changed. And I think settled in and become a, a very very welcome part, an adjunct, a complement yep. to what else is going on on Restaurant Row. Tremendous. Always good stuff from Thank Ted Carusis. <laughs> All right, you, my friend. Congratulations on that award. Yeah. <laughs> I showed up. Yeah, you showed up. The participation trophy. So what is the cutting-edge cuisine? Well, according to uh, some cutting-edge restaurateurs, it's Portuguese. Well, the Gaspar family says, welcome to our world. It only took 95 years for you to figure this out. Gaspar is the Portuguese sausage that uh, is on the cutting edge, that is comfort food, that is part of so many recipes, that is just so great, and especially on the grill. Yes, it's time to get sizzling. It's the best time of the year. Get Get that grill good and hot and get the gas bars going. This weekend is the weekend. We've got the nice weather. We've got a reason to celebrate. Hey, the nice weather alone would be that reason. Getting together over the grill. Remember to pick up some gas bars. Just a welcome guest at your next cookout. Available at all major supermarkets like the ones I broadcast from Gas Bars. The Portuguese sausage that the whole world can enjoy. Here at Allen's Wine and Spirits with Alex Allen. And Alex, the season is on. Season's on, Bruce. Good to be here again. Good to be with you. Great to kick off the summer. We've got some nice weather. And of course, here in the spirit world, that means rosé. The spirit world, the spirit and beverage world, right? Not the, the super uh, natural, but yeah. Uh, you know, it's rosé time, Bruce. I mean, it's it's funny, you know, five years ago, our rosé clientele was, it was a set, a finite amount. Now it's sort of everyone is looking for rosé. Now you have how many at any given time here at Allen's? I'd say in the off season we have about 30 and that, that'll probably almost double in the summer uh, all, from all over the world. Uh, uh, France, California, Oregon, Washington State, Italy, Austria, it's all over the map a little. Sure, yep. but you insist that there's one place that just makes the best. France, 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 France. You know, the, the three rules of real estate are location, location, location. The three rules of uh, rosé are France, France, France. Uh, <laughs> particularly southern France, Provence, and the entire southern coastline of, of France, Vindepe or uh, Languedoc, Roussillon. Some great value uh, wines from this area and also some really high-end and stuff as you get closer to the Rhone Valley. Well, you're right on it. There was a list that came out this week of the top 25 rosés, and uh, some of them are right on your shelves here. One in particular from Provence you were talking about. Yeah, the Fleur de Pelly is a uh, Côte de Provence. Uh, it has a nice, uh, very, uh, the color is a pale, almost like an onion peel. Very nice light for appetizers. You're sitting on your, your deck or patio. You're outside. The sun's shining on you. Uh, picture a glass in your hand, and it kind of goes with almost everything. It really, barbecue, shrimp on the grill, uh, salads with strawberries, goat cheese, uh, and it makes it a great wedding application, too. Yeah, where's the price point on this Fleur de Prairie? 
Uh, very nice accent. Uh, <laughs> the kid takes French. Or in the mid-teens, I think about sixteen ninety-nine on that particular wine. Um, but you'll see the Provence, the Provencal rosés uh, range anywhere from ten dollars to fifty. Okay. Yeah. So. But you can get a you can get a good rosé and not have to break the bank and get the authentic stuff. Not at all. Yeah, you'd be just fine in the, the again the mid-teens to, to twenty dollars. You know, up to sort of the Whispering Angel threshold about nineteen ninety. Uh, is a is a comfortable price point. You shouldn't really have to venture above that. Although it's totally fine if you have something in mind uh, that's north of that, uh, we're happy to help you out here at the shop. Uh, we do weekly orders for customers, uh, literally every week. If we don't have it in the shop, if it's available in the state, we can get it for you almost next day sometimes. And uh, so it looks like it's going to be another rosé summer. I think so. Yeah, the the numbers are looking very good. Uh, it, and again, it's funny. Five years ago. When we're designing uh, wedding bars, you know, rosés most of the time weren't even a part of the conversation. Now, five years later, um, and I think this is a lot to do with sort of the, the Hampton, yeah. New York culture uh, that so many people vacation here. Uh, it's it's a part of almost every conversation when we make a bar. It's two reds, two whites, and what do you have for rosé? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. How many rosés will people insist on? I mean, of course, more is always better, so everybody insists on more than one. What's a, a number of rosés that you've had to come up with at a wedding bar? Well, the, the client always asks for a list of usually about three to five choices, but uh, I encourage to choose one or two, uh, no more than two, because you can kind of get what we call brand fatigue at the bar, and then people are a little confused in, in terms of what's available, but I would say, uh, you know, go for one, maybe two. Uh, if they're both from France, you're fine with one. If you, I would suggest maybe doing a sparkling, if you have a still or a, a wine from another part of the world, just so you have a little variety. Good deal. Well, the other part of this that we're talking about when we're setting up our, not only our weddings, but our decks and our boats and our coolers and everything, those summer cocktails. Uh, we call them RTDs, ready to drinks. Uh, that's what the industry lingo is. Pro tip. These things are great. Uh, they're ready to literally be grabbed right out of one of our coolers, tossed in your cooler, you know, bring it on the boat, bring it uh, at the to the picnic. You know, don't break any laws or anything, but, you know, uh, it, it is, they are safe. You know, you're not you don't have to worry about broken glass. Right. And you can get anything from, you know, a, sort of a breakfast cocktail, like a mimosa or Bloody Mary or Spicy Bloody, all the way to what you'd have, you know, out on the town. You have vodka tonics, gin and tonics, rum and Cokes, whiskey lemonade. Uh, and uh, lo here locally, um, Sons of Liberty has, has done a great job. And we, we support local as much as we can. Uh, Sons of Liberty makes a plethora of these things. And there's a hard sangria, an apple cider cocktail in the fall, and probably five different types of their lemonade, which they do a half and half with tea, a blueberry, um, and a few just came out. And actually, Narragansett just uh, dropped the, the little dinghy. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is the Dell's version of that. So, uh, again, local's good. We love local. Well, it, there's a fascination within Sound of Our Voice here, Alex, on Dell's Lemonade in general. And so uh, if you're look around and you may see that Dell's Lemon as a cocktail and it seems to be flying out of the cooler here at Allen's Wine and Spirits, give us one that is kind of leading off here in the early going of the summer season here, Alex. What One of those RTDs that's really flying out of that cooler here at Allen's. We've seen some really great reactions from a brand called Cutwater and in particular, their Bloody Mary, their original Bloody Mary mix. 
Uh, it is, uh, I think, about an eight or nine percent alcohol cocktail. Maybe, maybe closer to eight. Is it spicy? It, uh, this one is just a regular. So you're getting a little horseradish spice, but their spicy version is actually very hot and in a good way. I would actually mix the two together. Yeah. Kind of create your own cocktail. Um, uh, but these are great. You know, if you think about what a 12 ounce can is, a regular soda can, uh, that's actually equivalent to a 375 milliliter bottle of wine or a half bottle. So when you see these, uh, you're, you're getting a lot for the money because the singles of these are going to uh, run about three to five to six dollars, depending on what it is. But you're getting a lot for the money. So uh, think about it as almost a double cocktail. Excellent. And uh, if you need the advice, come check out that cooler here at Allen's Wine and Spirits, 3001 East Main Road here in Portsmouth. Alex Allen, here's to you for a great season. Thank you, Bruce. Bruce Newberry. The food dude.